The empathetic leader. Well, that's a fancy term, but what does it mean? Can it bolster your abilities to not only accomplish the mission, but to do so with relative ease? What are the qualities and attributes of an empathetic leader? And is it a necessary ingredient for building high-performance teams? Join us now as we explore this concept further. Let's get after it. Well, welcome back, listener. We are so glad to have you back um, to Pulse. Uh, I'm Master Sergeant Mike Fisher, your career assistance advisor as a host. I also have a new host tonight uh, that's going to be with us. Um, John uh, is out due... Uh, is out sick, uh, recovering from the coronavirus. Uh, no, I'm joking, but uh, it, it, he is uh, out sick and just recovering. So, and uh, our our fine captain couldn't make it uh, this evening. So, I'm going to take a moment to allow us uh, a moment to introduce uh, Miss Rachel here. Go All ahead. Right. Hi, y'all. I'm Rachel Clark. Um, I'm a contractor here at Cannon Air Force Base with the Preservation of Force and Family. Um, I think y'all heard me in episode one very, very briefly. So I'm back at it with Sergeant Fisher here. That's right. And some of our guests. So thank y'all for having me. We're glad to have you. Uh, Also at the table, we have uh, one of our guests uh, for the topic. And uh, Miss Alicia. Yes, Alicia Fay. Um, Hi, I am an airman here at Cannon Air Force Base. I've only been here for about almost a year this coming March. Very excited to be here. Happy to be a guest on the show. Um, I'm very ex- This topic that we're discussing today, I'm ready to get at it. So Good. Mm-hmm. We like the excitement and enthusiasm. Plus, we're also looking forward to your perspective uh, as one yes. of the, our, our newer members of the organization. Uh, I think it's important that we take a few moments to kind of hear your perspective. So that's good. Also at the table, we've got our very first inaugural, if you will, uh, first sergeant. I think this is the first time we've had a shirt. Is it really? Yeah, oh. I really do believe that. Or at least awesome. a currently, you know, wearing, you know, somebody who's wearing the diamond right now. Um, so, yeah, Josh, go ahead. Right. Yeah. So, uh, hey, listeners, uh, Josh here. Uh, like Fish just said, I'm, I'm a first sergeant here at Cannon Air Force Base. Um, and I was actually stationed at Cannon before I became a first sergeant. So now I'm in, I'm in that role. Yeah. Um, stayed here. So, yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, we are too, and I think uh, a first sergeant often has uh, some unique perspective, or at least I hope so, with regard to this topic that we're going to talk about, which is uh, the empathetic leader, or empathetic leadership, depending on how you want to categorize that. So this concept, this philosophy, this idea um, can be somewhat vague, can be somewhat uh, maybe even confusing to those of us who've really never taken any time to think about what this means and how it uh, looks so I'm, I'm gonna open it up uh, first first and foremost um, Rachel I'd really like to kind of hear you kick this off because we've certainly had some offline conversations about this topic yes we've had a lot of offline cover <laughs> offline conversations about this topic I wish that they were recorded um, right um, the empathetic leader is something that's been a relatively hot topic not just in the military but in um, corporate honestly just corporate earth right now um it's something that's really being targeted because we're finding that with empathetic leadership we're able to see um organizations thrive but not just organizations the employees and the humans behind those organizations we're teaching people to actually bring humanity back into the workspace so that looks like especially at Kenan air force base where um an AFSOC base, so we fall under Special Operations Command. The first Special Operations uh, truth is humans are more important than hardware. And I firmly believe that empathetic leadership truly just captures that first soft truth. I agree. I very much agree. I like that. Um, Let's take a moment to kind of define Mm -hmm. this empathetic leader. What, What kind of how how would you define that and i'd really like to hear from all of you kind of in your own words how you see that so josh let's start with you and then kind of work our way around sure so um i know we've probably or, or some of us most of us maybe have heard the term show empathy and not sympathy right and i think that sometimes when we think about empathy itself is we hear putting being able to put yourself 
into another person's shoes and kind of see their perspective. And, and I would agree with all that, but I would also add that when you have empathy, you can put action behind that, right? And I think that's the difference really between sympathy and empathy is that em- empathy allows you to take further action, right? Versus just feeling maybe sorry for somebody. I think it's kind of easy to um, hear what somebody's saying and just say, well, that sucks versus having <laughs> empathy where you understand that and now you can communicate with somebody um, and have an effect on that person. Okay. All right. Alicia. For me, I would say my, like, if I'm thinking about my own definition of what an empathetic leader is, it's someone where when a situation arises, especially if you're looking at it from a military perspective, the, the person who's in that leadership position, their first step should be, okay, my first concern is this person in front of me, and I'm going to stop everything else and focus on that and try to really understand their perspective um, just like Sergeant said, First Sergeant said, um, as far as like how they're feeling about the situation, what caused them, if it is like a, um, like a, not a great situation that they're in right now, like a negative one, not a happy one, mm-hmm. like they did something wrong. Sure. Um, rather than, you know, lighting them up, you know, taking a se- like a moment to step back and say, okay, where did we mess up as, you know, as a leadership? What led them to make that decision? Um, how did we lead them to make that decision and how can we move on from there? So again, like their first step should be to look at the individual and not so much at the action um, is what I would say an empathetic, empathetic leader is, but yeah. Okay, I like that input. Mm-hmm. Um, Alicia, I'd like to build kind of a little bit off of what you just said mm-hmm. with empathetic leadership and tie it into uh, Josh's statement a little bit too. Um, with empathetic leadership, it's actionable, right? So you talked about Alicia, you talked about looking at the person before um, before the action. And you know what? Sometimes, especially in the military, we get we get in trouble, <clears throat> right? There's some pretty hefty consequences for things. A that, lot. Sure. Um, when, and maybe corporate world, you'd get maybe a slap on the wrist. Maybe you'd get demoted, but it wouldn't really be a huge deal. Um, in the military, actionable things like we're going to pull rank. We are going to take your pay. Um, yeah, that really nice, like, $1,000 paycheck, yeah, cut that in half for a few months, kind of um, consequences. So, and those, sometimes those consequences need to happen. Um, I'd like to cite Brene Brown and her book, Dare to Lead, and it talks about that mm. sometimes we Good have book. to take those steps. And while it is really unfortunate that those steps have to be taken, we also have to look at the person behind it. And that's where empathetic leadership plays in, and that's where that definition of looking at the person and saying, yeah, you know what, you screwed up, but let me build you back up because I'm, I'm your supervisor, I'm your leader. And let me give you the tools to succeed because we had to bring you down a little bit, but let's build you back up. And I think that's what empathetic leaders do is mm-hmm. they just start, um, start at a baseline, at a human baseline. Everybody is a human, and we build up from there. I like it. Everybody's a human. And, and, and when you kind of think about that phrase, how does that – how does that begin to influence or sh- how should it begin to influence uh, how you approach a given scenario? I think it just it allows us to approach things even a little more humbly. How would we want other people to treat us? Do we want to be treated like a tool that could be tossed aside and replaced very quickly? Or do we want to be treated as somebody of value and of worth, not just personally, but of, in our organization as well? Okay. What do you think? Well, I would say if you're looking at it as everyone's human, um, I know that like when you're in a leadership position, again, if thinking from an empathetic leadership style here, um, you want to be able to reach the people that you're you're in charge of. You want to be able to actually reach down and like have that understanding and that mutual respect. And um, I feel like that's a part of thinking of them as what they are, humans. So I guess that's what I would say to it, yeah. Okay. Right, and so when I think of humans or humanity, I, I think of it as, you know, each, even the four of us sitting around this table, mm-hmm. um, we are each unique individuals with different perspectives, uh, 
widely different experiences mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe they intersect at some points, maybe they don't. Right. Um, and I think this is really important to think about when you're approaching and speaking with somebody or whatever actions um, or interactions you're having with that person. Mm -hmm. uh, when, when we fail to kind of take into account the individuality that we, that each of us has, um, I think we start to stray away from that empathy piece and that you, you know, you don't, if you kind of inject your own experiences into the situation and don't take into account theirs, then you start to say things like, well, I've been through that before and it wasn't a problem for me, right? Mm -hmm. That's not empathy. Mm -hmm. And that's not what that person A wants to hear or B needs to hear. Right. I would 100% agree. Um, I have a coworker and she said something um, in a training we both facilitated and I've kind of stolen it from her because I really like it. Um, <laughs> but it's accepting somebody else's truth as their truth. So while it might not be your truth, mm -hmm. Um, it is still their truth and it's still their reality. Right. So for, um, like, as an example, for some people, if a pet died, they'd be okay. They'd go to the breeder, <laughs> get a new dog. Other people, that's 100% devastating. They just lost a member of the mm -hmm. family. And it's the same action, but each person had different feelings about it. Right. So if we're able to take a step back and try and meet people where they're at and understand... Um, what they're going through is their truth and their reality. I think we'd get a lot farther. So I actually have something to comment on that. I also experienced, um, well, I didn't personally experience, but I witnessed, I should say, a situation where a coworker was, uh, delegate, was supposed to delegate down a public speaking task to a young airman. And for that coworker, the person in leadership position, that was no problem. They were like, oh yeah, that's fine on like pr impromptu public speaking, you know, just, just wing it as we cared, we seem to do. Quite sure. Often. Um, so he was totally fine with it and he was like, okay, yeah, that's easy. And he popped that down to a young airman who um, had no prior experience of public speaking and wasn't quite as comfortable and, but still told them to go do it and later that airman just really struggled struggled all the way through it and then towards the end was very uncomfortable so mm -hmm. um tying it back into the military and you know c thinking of everyone as a human and taking into consideration that just as you said every your truth is everyone else's truth or what was the um it was accepting everyone else's truth is their truth right so um taking that into consideration and understanding that Though that might be easy for you, it is not an easy task for everyone else. And when you're in a leadership position, you have to take that into consideration. Otherwise, you're just going to force the people below you to do things they're uncomfortable with. And then that breaks trust and everything just falls apart from there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so I'll, I'll, so I think there's, I would agree with a lot of that, right? And so the piece that I would say to just be mindful of is that it, it's okay to challenge, right? And, and give, things to your subordinates in in terms of development mm -hmm. is important. And then I think when the empathy piece comes in is on maybe the backside. So you have like understanding capabilities of what uh, your subordinates or what your section, unit squadron, whatever can do, and then seeing them struggle. And then I think you can come in and go, okay, well, what's, what's going on here? Why is this person struggling? Mm -hmm. Um, and take into account. I think empathetic leadership, um, it definitely can come in while a person's struggling, but from a preventative standpoint, I think it should also come in before that even happens. Mm -hmm. So using your example, um, if a supervisor is um, giving an airman a task of public speaking, um, I, am I love public speaking, despite being on a podcast. Mm -hmm. um, so it's something that I identify with very, very strongly, but um, being an empathetic leader would have delegated that task if it needs to be done by an airman. Okay, but it would have started with, a, I see you're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. What's going on? Tell me what you're feeling and how can I support you? How can I build you mm -hmm. up and work <clears throat> with you so that way you are comfortable doing this task? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like, I like that clarification that you added there. And I also want to clarify, when we use the term leader, we're not necessarily focusing in on like squadron leadership, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that, you know, the, the term leader with regard to this conversation is everyone mm -hmm. at every level within every echelon, right? Right on down to, you know, the work section, that tiny little work section or center 
that may be overseen by a staff sergeant, right? Um, that individual uh, potentially uh, could fall into this leadership uh, reference. So um, I, let's talk a little bit about this idea of why is this important to talk about, though, right? Why are we here having a conversation about empathetic leadership? Is it because maybe it's not as prevalent as it should be? I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. One, uh, is, is, there, is there a need out there for people to hear us talk about this? So I would say it's important for us to be talking about this right now because of the personality change within the generations that are coming. Um, and We could spend all day talking about that, right? Okay. I have a training yeah. here at the Professional Development Center if anybody is interested. Nice. <laughs> anyway, continue your thought. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say that like the Air, For no, the Air Force, the military, DOD, federal, everything, sure. um, private sector, everything, should take into consideration that the people that are coming up and are going to be leading, you know, the United States are going to be doing it in a very different way. And they either got to hop on board or not. And if they don't, I would be concerned about the the trust. Because I feel like when you're looking at things from a business standpoint and how strong that, that institution works as a whole team, um, if the trust isn't there because there isn't that reach from leadership down, then the whole thing will fall apart and people will will boot out they'll leave they won't stick around no one's going to work for someone they don't trust it, it was same thing in the private sector and definitely the same thing in the military and so if leadership doesn't start to i would say at least try to understand their perspective um and the way that we communicate coming from an airman's perspective sure. um then it's not gonna do well as far as keeping us around i would say okay can I add to that? Of course. Um, so I think it. So I think it goes both ways. Um, we do it. Um, I do with a coworker facilitated training about working across generations. And a lot of times we talk about, oh my goodness, we have to have, like these old timers have to understand what we're going through. Our supervisors mm -hmm. have to. And I do think it's actually meeting in the middle. Mm -hmm. So with the military and leadership styles, it's something I actually uh, wrote my thesis on in grad school is leadership styles and their effectiveness. The military thrived for a long time on um, authoritative leadership mm -hmm. because it needs to happen. Hey, you know, we're rushing into this group of bad guys. And if I tell you to get down because you're going to get shot, it's not the time for us to Go have back a long, lengthy conversation mm -hmm. right right yeah. it is the time to get down because i want like i want what's best for you i want to take you home mm. um what happens is is there's a time and a place for everything so there's a time for that authoritative leadership but there's also a time for empathetic leadership and if we start out with empathetic leadership we will have that trust that alicia you were talking mm -hmm. about um to where when we have to wear that authoritative leader hat Mm -hmm. Our airmen, our NCOs, our young officers, they trust us to get that um, job done. But I do think it does um, require kind of meeting in the middle when we talk about empathetic leadership, just like Sergeant Fisher said. It's not people with a bunch of stripes or a full bird on their chest. It is everybody. So being um, an empathetic leader starts out at the airman level, too, to mm -hmm. be able to understand where the supervisors are coming from as well mm -hmm. and finding a path forward that's a middle ground mm -hmm. that makes everybody happy. Okay. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought up kind of like the generation mm -hmm. gaps, if you will, or like the culture changes that we're going through. Um, and I'm highly interested in that that class that you're talking about because I've been on uh, I've been on the fence as far as when I hear folks talk about, um, oh my gosh, how are we going to tackle this? How do we communicate with you know the the next generation of airmen? And I find myself thinking, well, there's always been the next generation. Like, like at one point I was the next generation. Right. That's exactly right. right. So is it yeah. a problem? Like, sure, there's challenges, but I think that there's, these are the challenges that we continue to face, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's not like anything groundbreaking. And, and so I think it's just um, a very, I'm very curious on the subject as far as like, if it's truly, truly like a problem that we need to get after, or if this is like the everyday human component communication things that right. we've always got to work on. Yeah, 
I, I like the fact that you said that. So mm-hmm. real quick plug, it's just so everybody truly understands what we're talking about, about uh, what the course that we offer here at the PDC. It's called uh, Working Across Generations. Uh, Rachel and one of her teammates, uh, Jen Herdig, um, lead it. And it's, it's quite insightful. And what I will tell you is, is it's probably not at all what you think it's going to be. Uh, I think there's a lot of folks that come into that course thinking, hey, this is going to be something that, you know, kind of pounds this idea down my throat that, hey, generational uh, individuals across generations are, are very, very different. I think a lot of people come into that class thinking um, two mindsets. Uh, one, if we are looking at our boomers and our Gen Xers who come into that class, they're like, oh my gosh, they're going to tell us that we have to listen to these millennials and do everything that they want all the time. Um, that's not the case. And then we'll have millennials and some of our Gen Zers come <clears throat> to the class and they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, that, that meme of okay, boomer, that's a thing. Like they have to talk to us or, or we get the flip side of, man, they're going to tell us that we just have to deal with it because we joined the military and that's not it at all. We yeah, act- just suck it up. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And that's not it at all. We uh, talk, we break down every generation, but we start the course off with talking about empathy because that's what it is. Mm. Um, I think, uh, Josh, you were incredibly right saying that um, generations aren't new. They've talked about for thousands of years. It's not a new thing. There's always talk about that next generation. So it's not this new or innovative idea. Um, but what is relatively new, especially in the work centers, is this talk about empathy and breaking away from ourselves in a moment to understand what um, you're going through as a first sergeant or Alicia, what you're going through as an airman or Sergeant Fisher, what you're going through um, as a career assistance advisor or what I'm going through as a civilian who has only ever worked for civilian firms before and got thrown into the military. Um, that's, that's where, that's where we start off with is, okay, we're going to teach the skill of stepping outside of ourselves and being able to connect with each other as humans. I like it. That's it. And she's absolutely right. I, I personally think this whole generational concern does center around this idea of empathy. Mm-hmm. It really does. Mm-hmm. Um, my own opinion and my own analysis as I view it, and I will readily admit that I could be missing the mark here, but, you know, past generations, as I've observed, seem to be a little bit more adept at this idea of empathy. They came naturally to the table with some skills in that area and had a better understanding, but over the course of generations, uh, I believe we're seeing fewer and fewer people that come to the table with that natural talent Mm -hmm. and so that's where it's becoming a a a concern here and that's why we see people scratching their heads going how do i connect with this person that's so different than me and i think that could be uh, that could be like a whole nother podcast that we do yeah i was just gonna say Um, because i think it ties back to how we communicate and how generations before us have communicated and now we have all this technology mm-hmm. that has made made things a little bit different in how we communicate so mm-hmm. like josh i could facetime you and it'd still be face to face but it's over the phone and if mm-hmm. you make me mad i can hang up mm-hmm. um whereas before when um yeah maybe we had telephones that were attached to the wall and we had to sit down at the wall like in the hallway to listen to each other but for the most part our interactions were face to face we were on those phones to say hey are we going to go meet up later yep um and so while um i'm not going to get into whether technology is good or bad um because there's just not enough time for that Um, that's true I, I do think it does change how we've interacted and why empathy is coming up again because we have to almost learn how to connect in a different way because we have different mediums of connection. Yeah, mm. I very much agree. So the why I think is important here. Mm-hmm. The why I think is, you know, we're seeing a, a bit of a void in this area of empathy or at least in the maturity level with regard to this idea of empathy. And so us talking about it is absolutely necessary uh, to ensure that we kind of reignite this understanding of what, one, what is empathy, and two, how can I leverage it to actually create 
environments that are high performing and where people are excited about being there. May, you, may, you may not always be, hey, I'm so excited to go to work. I, I mean, very few people truly actually say that every day. But I, I do know that there are people that are like, hey, you know, I actually enjoy going to work. Uh, and it's not that bad of a scenario for me. And so I would love to see that um, start to, to, to kind of propagate through our ranks. I would too. Um, I think that empathy is something that is, um, right now is kind of hard to wrap wrap our minds around, but it, it's paramount to understanding. And with the Air Force, we did um, a resilience tactical pause back mm-hmm. in August mm-hmm. and a lot of what came out of that is oh my gosh my leadership is so toxic well first of all let's define leadership and let's define toxicity mm-hmm. because the Harvard Business Review also put out a um, a small snippet article saying toxic was the most overused word in 2019 so what do we mean by toxic and every at least in the sessions that I sat in with the resilience tactical pause it came back to my leaders don't understand me Mm-hmm. And I think that's why talking about empathetic leadership is important, especially within the military. I agree. I very much agree. And I'd be curious, as, an, as a, you know, a relatively new airman, mm-hmm. how do you feel about leadership and their connection, their understanding, their engagement with you? Um, uh, I would definitely say that depends on the person, mm-hmm. um, which all things I feel like do. Um, but... Are you asking for like my personal experience? Your how own I felt? Pers- yeah, your own personal experience, but feel free to also just kind of elaborate on maybe the bigger picture that you sit back and observe. Okay. Um, my leadership experience, not my leadership experience, but what I've experienced for my leadership um, across the board is I, sh- I find it hard being able to believe the fact that all of them have asked themselves what their why is. And I know you just talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, was when you're considering empathy, how, how do you become empathetic? How do you, how do you gain this? And I think um, it's important to, to if you want to start, you should start with why you're doing your, what you're doing. Why are you in this leadership position? Um, and if it isn't to benefit the people below you or to take care of the people below you, then you might want to reconsider. And I would definitely say that from my experience and what I've seen and from my leaders or leaders of others, that I've I've witnessed is that they they struggle with that they, they they don't have their why they're doing it for the the mission they're doing it because they want to bring home a paycheck um, for their families which hey fair I don't have family so I can't young airman here but um, I think it should be their why should be focused on uh, the airman the whole airman like the big blue airman um, and I unfortunately haven't haven't quite seen that. Um, there are, of course, there different cases. I feel like I've met, I've seen, I've created, not created, but I've had amazing mentors so far within the, the military. Well, my experience, my short experience, absolutely. Yeah. I've met great people that do know their why. And I feel, and I trust, because I know that they're <clears throat> there to think, they're there for me. Sure. And um, they have that empathy. Um, but it definitely depends on the person, I would say. I like that. Mm -hmm. Now, Josh, you have actually a very unique opportunity as a first sergeant. Not only are you out there, hopefully, amongst, you know, the ranks and the formations and observing what's really going on there and hearing the feedback and talking to folks, but you also, as a first sergeant, have this awesome opportunity to go behind closed doors Mm -hmm. with just leaders and also see that perspective and hear that talk. And, and I'd really like to, to kind of leverage your experience. What do you see as a first sergeant from both sides of the coin? Sure, so um, a lot of my experiences in that area involve, you know, someone either either comes in and they say, hey, sure, you got a second? Right. Uh, which should be like, I, I think it's probably our motto at this point. Um, <laughs> hey, sure. And of course, and of course, I have a second. And as uh, Chief once told me, the that person who comes into your office is now the most important person on the planet. And that's um, good advice. So, awesome. you know, I, you get them in there, and and you know, when it's when it's the type of issues where, um, let's say, they're like, I'm feeling, you know, overworked, or um, sometimes even they come in, they talk about things like. Uh, I'm really frustrated because my supervisor or not even their supervisor, but um, they've just received the task and they go, I don't know how 
to even do this. I've never done this before. Um, and they just don't understand. They're like, why is, why is, is this happening to me? And I go, okay, well first understand that, right? So I need them to have a little bit. I, I, I try to give them a little bit of that empathy too. Like, um, okay, try to step into that person's shoes for a second. Uh, what are they seeing? Like, uh, if it's task oriented, the, the specific one I'm thinking about was, um, what was your, you know, reaction? Did you like give them the thumbs up? Um, and so I think there was a little bit of feedback owed there, but by and large, there's just a lot of, and I wouldn't even say miscommunication. I would say under communication yeah. on that front between, you know, the, the either first line supervisor or that NCO, um, or, and even in some cases like senior airmen, right. Who are responsible for delegating the workload and they just don't understand each other. Uh, and then on the flip side of that, you know, cause I'll always circle back with that supervisor, whoever it is. And I'll go, Hey, did you know this? And they go, no, I didn't. And so, so I'm going, okay, makes sense. Um, because if they did know, then it would have turned out differently. Right. Um, <laughs> and so now I try to give them, okay. Um, think about this, think about putting yourself in that person's shoes, um, and, and trying to break down those barriers in communication that leads to those frustrations. That's what I see a lot of is just under communication. And a lot of it, I think comes from it's it being awkward to communicate that way. Like it's not right. easy, right? Because I think to have <clears throat> empathy, you've got to have a, you've got to have some courage um, and you got to be vulnerable too. Like you, when you have empathy, I think you, you put some of yourself out there. Right? Yeah. You're you taking should. a risk because ideally yeah. if you're saying, okay, this is where I think you're at, or this is what I think you're saying. And here's how I see it. You could be totally wrong. And I've been totally wrong before too. And they're like, no, that's not it at all. Yeah. Okay. We've all well, had our not turn. perfect either. So yep. uh, mm -hmm. then I just, you know, you do what you do with it. You re-engage and try to figure things out. Yeah. I, I think it's funny that you, uh, well, not so much funny, but uh, uh, kind of insightful that you brought up this whole idea that sometimes leaders don't have, don't have a very good grasp on their why. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've got a book here that I was going to use to kind of launch out on, uh, on exploring this concept a little bit. And it talks just about this very thing. So does Simon okay? Sinek yeah. uh, start with why? Right. Book, yeah. Check it out. So this book here that I, I brought to the table, and I'm going to read a bit of a quote from it, and I'd really like us to kind of talk about that mm -hmm. for a minute. But it's, uh, it's called The Motive. Uh, it just came out, uh, and it's by Patrick Lencioni. And, and for those of you who don't know who he is, uh, you definitely need to check out his work. He's fantastic. And um, he opens up this book, and this entire book is really dedicated to this idea mm -hmm. of why are you doing it? Why are you wanting to be, or why did you seek to be in this leadership position? Mm. All right. And uh, here's this quote. Here's, it, here's how it starts. As it turns out, the primary motive for most young people and too many older ones for seeking that leadership position is the rewards that leadership brings with it. Things like notoriety, status, and power. But people who are motiv motivated by these things won't embrace the demands of leadership when they see little or no connection between doing their duties and receiving those rewards. They'll pick and choose how to spend their time and energy based on what they are going to get rather than what they are going to give to the people they're supposed to be leading. This is as dangerous as it is common. I really love that quote and it sparked something. Um, I don't know, this can be kind of a rhetorical question, especially for our audience out there, but have you ever heard, especially within the military, well, that's just the way it was when I was an airman. Mm, yes. And I feel like that ties right back into the quote that you said, Sergeant Fisher. And it is one thing that just really irks me because I, and that thing I always ask back is, and how did it feel? Yep. Did it feel good? Did it feel good to be in that position? Because that's what you're doing to other people. Mm. So, are, like, what, 
what's your why? Why why are you here? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I'll hear, um, I had one person tell me one time that, oh, well, if the plane's, um, if the plane's fixed, then my people should be good. And that's why I'm here is to get planes fixed. Like, okay, well, I see a lot of stripes there. Yeah. I don't see you out on the line, on that flight line. As, are, you, uh, are, you, are you out on the flight line? Are you a crew chief? Well, no. Okay, so you have crew chiefs out there, right? You have your staffs, maybe your techs, maybe. Very rare, but staffs and below out there, yes? And he said, yes. I'm like, so who's taking care of that? And they're taking care of the plane. They've got it. Mm. What are you doing to take care of your people? And so I think tapping into, like, even some problematic-wise and still trying to get them to reframe their thoughts a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. And so um, the, the, the kind of question that as I read that quote and, and was looking at it through the lens of preparing for this podcast today mm-hmm. is, you know, when you have a leader or leaders that kind of take that position of, hey, I'm here for the rewards and what come with this whole idea of leadership versus I'm here to, to, to find ways to give, right? Is it possible, assuming they hold on to that idea, is it possible for a leader that looks at leadership for that reason, is it possible for them to be empathetic? I think possibly, which isn't a good answer. Sure. Um, I think that tapping into, so tapping into that intrinsic motivation, we can't change people's motivation. Um, that's uh, intrinsic motivation is motivation within themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think tapping into that, so if they want those rewards, great. You still have to be a good leader to get those rewards. You still have to take care of your people to get those rewards. And if you don't take care of your people, you're probably not going to get all of the rewards that you were looking for in my personal opinion and experience um you might get that extra pay but what happens when you miss the ball and somebody showed you a bunch of red flags and they end up dying by suicide and that's on you through that investigation ouch what happens then yeah so i think being able to tap in to those okay you want those rewards great here's how you earn those rewards. You still have to do the job and doing that job is taking care of people. I think people can be taught, but also only if they have kind of like an open heart to being taught. Ah, okay. So I just wanted to add on to that. So actually kind of a little counter argument to that is I feel like the military makes it very easy to get away with doing the bare minimum in terms of okay so if you are assigned this if you are a supervisor Mm -hmm. you have to make sure that all your airmen leave at 4 30 and it it doesn't right there's not like a a bullet down on their list of how to be a good supervisor that says make sure or a good dbo or a good superintendent that says hey make sure you check in and ask your airmen how their day was today no that bullet doesn't exist so as long as they meet all the other ones i think it's actually very easy to not have to meet all of those requirements and still get all of the rewards um, once you're in that leadership position. Because I, I, from my experience and what I've seen, I, I don't see many people checking those that are in leadership positions and asking the question like, hey, did you um, step outside? Did you, for example, if you're using maintenance and the flight line, did you go out and actually look at the people that are on the flight line taking care of those planes that you say that you take care of um, today? Same thing within an office. Did you go out into the cubicles today? Um, no one's actually doing that. No one's like ca- checking you. And a lot of people, a lot of leaders don't have that self-discipline to check them, to check themselves either. Um, so I would actually say that it's very easy in the military to mm-hmm. still get the reward, but not do all the, uh, the extras. So Josh, that's an interesting perspective. And here, this is a perspective of somebody that's brand new to our organization for all intents and purposes. And so I'd like to get your thoughts as somebody who's been around a little while. Um, do you see some truth in that uh, analysis. Absolutely, yeah. So I was actually, I just had a conversation with somebody this morning about that same subject. And we, the the conversation kind of stemmed from being, you know, feeling overtasked um, and kind of working uh, from a queue. And, you know, and my questions were things like, uh, how do you think the work center is running? 
um, you know, how are the airmen doing, things like that. And what I offered to this NCO was, um, I asked the question, I said, true or false? You can work 16 hours every day and still have more work the next. Right? So I'll, I'll, so I'll ask true. Alicia. <laughs> so you can work 16 hours today, right? And then when you come in tomorrow, you can put in another 16 hours because you have 16 hours work to do. Absolutely. Right? And, and so what I offered to her was <clears throat> to say, hey, you know, what's really important because we just we just said it. We can work 16 hours a day and probably even more. And then the work's yeah. still there. So when do you slice out some of your time to get out and, and talk to the airmen? Because I think it's a very, very easy trap to fall in. I've fallen into that many times, um, especially I think stepping into uh, the role of a senior NCO because, or really any new role like that, because um, you're learning something new you're trying to figure out, you've got more individuals that you are now responsible for. And so it's very easy. Um, EPRs were like my bane. Um, and I just felt like an EPR factory all the time. Um, and I wanted to get out, but you know, you've got to manage that workload, uh, learn to prioritize, <laughs> right? Good work. And then just Good understand work. that the work's still gonna be there, right? The Air Force was here, a long, long time before I got here, and it's gonna be here a long, long time after I leave. But the people won't always be there. Right, and mm -hmm. those people remember the things you did for them as well. And then they'll perpetuate that mm -hmm. because we will, we will not always be here. Mm -hmm. um, and gosh, I remember when someone told me, you know, 20, 30 years, it'll go by faster than you think. Yeah, and it will. It has, Yeah. so. So go go ahead, Rachel. You. Um, I I just really I wanted to add on to what you said. I saw something. It was actually on Facebook today, and I think it meant to be a really silly meme, but it actually had a lot of truth to it. it said, um, what, uh, like what creates a hardworking employee? And then it had a pie chart that was a hundred percent hard work, and then below it, it had a pie chart broken up into enough sleep, taking care of yourself. Mm. Uh, they call it self care. Um hard work and they broke it else they broke it up into one more thing so it was in fourths so i don't remember what the other one was but i think it showed that showcased that you're more than just the work mm -hmm. and so understanding that we're all humans hmm. um that that's what get hard's work done mm -hmm. is being go. able to take care of those other you know three quarters of ourselves not just the hard work but i also would like to caveat i know we have to move on um so with some of our uh, like senior leadership, the people with a lot of stripes and a lot of rank, I have found that sometimes they just don't know Agreed. how to take care of their airmen. I sat in the Agreed. meeting with a colonel and I handed him a self-care worksheet. And he looked at me and he was like, this is the most intrusive questioning I think I've ever had. And I'm like, okay, well, cool. I hand this to your airmen. So you still need to fill it out. Yeah, sir. your empathy is about to go way up. Yep. <laughs> and he did the self-care thing. And he's like, man, I haven't done anything for myself in months. And I was like, okay, so how can I expect you? Because we're sitting there. It was after um, Resilience Tactical Pause. How oh. can I expect you to take care of your airmen when you can't take care of yourself? And there it is. That's it right there. Perfect. All right. Let's let's uh, let's take a few moments to be very specific and targeted, though, at identifying some key behaviors that, that we feel align with being empathetic. All right. What you know, it's easy to talk big picture. It's easy to talk theory. But what is what are some of these key behaviors that um, that you view are important to see every day? from from those of us in, in leadership roles and quite frankly everyone within the formation right as we interact and and interface with each other so anyone go so we talked a lot about some of these broad things about being there for people putting yourself in their positions that comes with active listening but also i think with empathetic leadership a bullet that i think is often missed because we look at empathetic leadership and we see all the good I think that sometimes we miss being able to actually have hard conversations with each other, being able to have that confrontation. And confrontation doesn't have to be fists up. Um, Brene Brown in her book, Dare to Lead, calls it a rumble. Um, and it's 
it's an amazing tool that you have to bring empathy into. And I think empathetic leaders are the ones who, quote, rumble most effectively because they're there active listening and not just like repeating back like a robot exactly what you said to me. It's um, being there, being present, being mindful and being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, even if it's uncomfortable. I listened to an amazing podcast through Honest HR one time that talked about if you want to be effective in any role um, that you're in, in any organization, you have to be willing to have those hard conversations. And I think being that empathetic leader at every level, um, that's one of those targeted bullets that, at least for me, I look for in leadership. Yeah, and I want to mm-hmm. kind of double double down on that because I'm so glad you brought that up. And again, I've got another book here uh, with a quote that I want to read because I think it ties in really well with what you just uh, brought up and it's called Absolutely. radical candor uh be a kick-ass boss without losing <laughs> your humanity i love it it's written by uh, kim scott and so i i again recommend this book for folks uh but she's talking about you know some of the th- actual things that bosses need to do to engage with their people appropriately to again develop that environment that team uh high performance atmosphere and so here's here's what she says Challenging others and encouraging them to challenge you helps build trusting relationships because it shows, one, that you care enough to point out both the things that aren't going well and those things that are, are going well. Mm-hmm. And that, two, you're willing to admit, to admit when you're wrong and that you are committed to fixing mistakes that you or others have made. But because challenging often involves disagreeing or saying no, this approach embraces conflict rather than avoiding it. And um, she finishes here with former Secretary of State Colin Powell once once remarked that being responsible as a leader sometimes means you got to piss people off. Mm, Absolutely. So let's kind of launch from that for a moment and and. uh, explore this as a as an empathetic leader sometimes we must engage in some of those difficult conversation we must rumble we must put personal agenda aside and actually Mm -hmm. be courageous enough and vulnerable enough to explore some of these challenging things that are presented to us Mm -hmm. both as a leader and hey as a subordinate right uh, it's a two-way street. So let's explore that. What, do you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I love that, and uh, I'm going to need to get a copy of that book. Uh, but <laughs> oh, it's So it, it reminds me of, and it's kind of funny, it was um, my interview with our command chief before I was allowed to put on the diamond right, right. I had to get a thumbs up. And I remember we were talking about, she asked me, what do you think uh, – a first sergeant does and i said if i had to put it in, in my own words um because there's, there's an afi out there and everything that says what we're what we do right mm-hmm. um, but if i had to put it in my words what i told her was i think it's taking care of airmen that was it pretty simple right and so her uh counter to that was okay so something to the effect of okay so we give them you know kind of we give them what they want or something to that effect and i said well no because uh, you you got to give them what they need, and that's not always uh, you know mm-hmm. ice cream and you know Donuts. throwing parties and stuff. It's really giving them what they need. And a good example of that, as I was coming into the role, I was speaking with another first sergeant about um, one of their NCOs who had uh, very seriously planned on separating from the service and. So the first sergeant asked the person, okay, well, what, you know, what's your plan? Um, where are you headed? You know, kind of tell me, tell me what you're going to be doing. And a person told him, well, you know, I, I think I'll just, and you probably hear, I hear this all the time. I'm just going to get out and I'm going to go to school. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's not a bad thing. That's great. Take, you know, use your GI bill, use all those entitlements that you've earned from your service. Um, but she kind of flew out the red flag and she's like, okay, well, what school have you done since you've been in? None. Taking any clips? No. Okay. Uh, 
are you signed up, you know, application in with the university where you're going to be going? And he said, well, you know, I think I'll just, I'll, I'll take care of that. You know, when I get there, I'll get settled in. And uh, she was like, yeah, you're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. She's like, you don't plan on going to school at all. You got no idea what the heck you're going to be doing. And he was like, yeah, you're right. I have no idea. <laughs> right. And lo and behold, this person is still here. And, you know, now they've, they've got an assignment. The person will be closer to uh, some family members they haven't, you know, been able to be close to in a while, which was the person's motivation for separating um, among place. maybe some other things as yeah. well, um, which I totally understand. But in that instance, right, she told that person what they needed to hear, not what they wanted to hear, because she could have just stood up, shook his hand and said, oh, sounds good. May the odds be ever in your favor. Right, right. Yep. So as a as a young airman, what do you think? Uh, do you do you believe in this statement that, hey, having open, honest, and even difficult and challenging discussions is directly related to building trust. Absolutely. So if you're coming from a perspective, if it's like a leader who is who is an empathetic leader, there, the respect between the, the leader and the subordinate is already there. It's already built. So um, when it comes to having those hard conversations, it shouldn't be a problem. Um, coming from like my perspective, um, I have some empathetic leaders. I have great leaders. And That's awesome. Absolutely. And I know that if I were to ever totally mess up in some way, that it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be so much as scared of their reaction from a fear aspect. It would be more so, oh crap, I just, they're going to be so disappointed. Yeah. And it's more of, I hate to say it, put it in this perspective, but it's like a parent-child relationship like that. It's just like that mentor uh, yeah. You know, I don't want to disappoint this person. And um, that comes from empathy. And that's the only way it's going to be built is because, you know, you get, you have empathy, you have the trust, you have the respect. And then those hard conversations, yeah, they might be hard, they might be difficult, but they're not going to be this overbearing, stressful, um, what's going to happen type of situation that unfortunately I feel like a lot of the military is. Yeah. But, yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So... As we kind of time down with this discussion a little bit, um, I'd like to talk a, uh, some about the risks associated mm -hmm. with if we fail at this, right? If we fail to step up and understand the importance of, of um, empathy, what, what, how is that going to impact the organization? What are some of the real, tangible, observable things that we're going to begin to see within our ranks? And I'd really like to hear from you guys. What do you think? Well, I would definitely say um, the Air Force is, I mean, obviously dis discussing on the real the real risks. Um, I think the increase in suicide is definitely something worth mentioning um, mm. for the Air Force. Absolutely. I'm not saying it's directly correlated to the lack of empathy, um, but I would I would say that if you included empathy into your leadership style, hey, maybe things might change. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and of course, retention. I would definitely say re retention here at Canon. Obviously, we do. I mean, as most people know, we do have a problem with that. And I feel like if the the organization, the squadron that we're in, if it felt more like a family and that we were all actually there taking taking care of each other, and just like you said, Sergeant, um, that leader that had said, hey, how are you actually going to get this done? And then realized, mm, probably not. You're not really going to do that. So maybe that's not the best bet. A lot of leaders aren't going to be willing to ask that question. Yeah. Um, they're just going to take it and say, okay, well, don't worry about it because someone's going to replace you. So I know I'm not going to have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. And that's it, it, that goes ties right back into the situation where <laughs> the bullet of what it takes to get their job done, it doesn't, nowhere in it does it say, hey, don't forget to ask that question. No, they're just saying, hey, make sure the job gets done. And if someone replaces that person, then it's taken care of. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, good good insights. Anyone else? Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to agree with you on that retention. So mm -hmm. what um, we're seeing a lot of is, um, especially after that sequester, we're losing staff syntax. We've lost staff syntax. Mm -hmm. We're trying to refill them. But without that baseline level of empathetic leadership, without that baseline humanity, we face a retention problem. And then we end up purging money, like purging money, like we're bleeding it out, um, training new people mm -hmm. just for them to leave. And then we mm -hmm. go and train a new people and just let them leave. So not only do we have a retention problem, we have a financial problem. Mm -hmm. And then we just have 
and then we have a problem where there's no buffer. There's no middle tier because we keep having these folks get trained up just to get out. We have no staffs and techs, which creates a huge burden on the staffs and techs that we already have, um, which then creates a burden on our senior NCOs and our officers. And it's just a trickle. And it hurts the airmen without the leadership there. Yep. Yeah, very much so. Yep. And it just creates this kind of trickle up and down, weird kind of waterfall effect. Oh, yeah. Um, and it also creates heavy, heavy toxicity. And I said earlier that talk to- that toxic was the most overused word in 2019. So I feel like it's lost its punch. And I'm sure some of you who just heard me use it were like, oh, my gosh, this again. But it's true. It creates those behaviors that are just unbecoming um, of any organization that are just going to directly rip it apart at the shreds and not look at people as humans and look at them as tools. Yeah, I, I agree with you with the, the, the overuse of toxicity, even though in many cases it's probably an appropriate word. Absolutely. Uh, but I often like to just simply res, uh, resort to the word ineffective, yep. right? And yes, you can be ineffective and not yep. be toxic. But at the end of the day, the ultimate result that, that, that mm-hmm. comes from that is ineffectiveness. Yep. And so... Uh, when you kind of change that word a little bit and, and, and focus on where do I need to be? I need to be effective. I need to be doing the things that not only as a individual contributor, but also I need to ensure as a leader, of course, mm-hmm. everyone else in the organization is effective too, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. So just my thoughts on that, but your thoughts. No, so I'm glad that you brought up the word ineffective and it makes me think of a few things. Um, as far as it, it kind of had me thinking in terms of when we the risk that we take when we don't practice empathy in the workplace is that you start to get individuals who accept the status quo mm-hmm. right and they just yes. so you look at a person who's struggling or your work center underperforms and what can you do about it you're not willing to have awkward conversations and kind of stir the pot a little bit and have some of that uh, radical candor, right? Yeah. And you, so you just start to accept those things. You you become ineffective and it just stays that way. Yep, I agree very much. So the risks are high is what I'm hearing, really, when you think about from an organizational perspective and our ability to get after the mission and develop and, and produce the results that we really want. The risks are high. And uh, we can mitigate those risks through some simple things, very mm-hmm. simple things that we talked about. Um, and so I think that's important uh, that we uh, at least pause just enough to think about that. Mm-hmm. And what I would encourage folks is, is, look, if this whole idea of empathy is something that's kind of new to you or you're struggling with kind of understanding it better, um, you know, there are a number of resources out there to help you with that. But I think, you know, probably one of the leading individuals in in the world today on this whole idea of empathy is probably Brene Brown, really. I'm gonna be honest. And so I would encourage you to check out some of her books. She's got several YouTube videos out there Mm -hmm. for those of you that are like, you know, I'm not into that reading thing. Um, Audiobooks Yeah, check it out. Yeah, podcast Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, great, thank you. Um, which I hear she's starting up a podcast soon, oh, really? uh, by the way. Yeah, uh, that's, that's the latest news. So, mm-hmm. uh, folks, thank you so much for dedicating some of your time to sit at the table, to yeah, come up to the you. mic and share some of your thoughts, perspectives and insights. Um, Rachel, great. I, I look forward to having you back as well. Um, Alicia, thank you. Absolutely. Uh, I know this was somewhat maybe arguably last minute for you. But you did well. You stepped up. And, I, and I tried. So Thank great. You. Great job. Great job. And then, of course, Josh, as a diamond, um, very, very unique insight and perspective. And I, I'm glad you uh, were willing to do this. Yeah, glad to uh, come out. So, folks, thanks for listening. We're great, very grateful for every single one of you taking time to listen to us each week. Uh, next week, here's a little teaser. Next week, we have a very special guest. Um, Chief Master Sergeant Corey Olson, our very own AFSOC Command Chief, uh, is going to be joining us. And he's actually going to be sharing some of his thoughts, his insights, his wisdom, his experiences relative to this topic and then also our previous topic um, centering around uh, self-care. And so I very much encourage you to dial in. Listen, you're going to want to hear this one. It's going to be a great. Uh, I can tell you I Uh, was very excited to have a few moments with him and and have that discussion and capture it in this podcast. So 
Folks, until next time, thank you, and uh, let's get after it. You have listened to an episode of Pulse, recorded by members of the Cannon Air Force Space community. The views expressed within this podcast are those of the speakers and guests and do not necessarily represent the view of the DOD, Department of Defense, or its components. To the airmen, soldiers, sailors, and Marines, we'll see you again soon.